One of the most powerful gifts that God has given this earth is the gift of music and song. Merely hearing a particular song can instantly transport you to a certain season of your life or a certain experience that you had or maybe even to a specific person. The very first time I heard my wife Carrie sing was in college. It was at a college talent show, and she sang with acoustic guitar accompaniment from someone else. She sang Angel by Sarah McLachlan. 20-plus years later, and yes, that does date me, but I'm okay. 20-plus years later, whenever I hear that song, whether it be on the radio, who listens to the radio anymore, or to YouTube or on TV, when I hear the song Angel, I am instantly transported 20 years backwards to that college auditorium, and I can still remember even what she was wearing when she sang it. That's the power of music and song. Do you have any songs like that? I bet you do. There was a, a book recently written uh, by a lady named Elaine Manis. She wrote the book, The Power of Music. And in this book, she articulates what scientists have been finding out. That of all the human functions that uh, affect the brain, which all of them do, the one that affects the most aspects and the largest part of the brain is music and song. And so because of that, what's true is that scientists and doctors alike have been studying music and song to incorporate it and use it both for physical and emotional health. This is pretty amazing, the power of music. One of the other things that we know about music is that um, in order for music to connect, that there needs to be a common theme. That the theme of the song needs to resonate with the people who are hearing it. When it comes to music that has been written throughout the centuries, does anyone want to guess as to which topic has been written about more than any other? I think I heard it. Love. Relationships romance, and that's because we all understand love or broken love, especially Taylor Swift. She does. She understands a lot about it as there's been rumors that she has actually broken off relationships just so that she has material for her next album. I don't want to judge, but you know, that might be the case. The series we're starting today is all about songs. In the Bible, they're called psalms. It's a Hebrew word for song. You see, that which scientists are studying about music, guess what? God has always known. He's always known the power of music and reach rich, deep lyrics. And in the psalms, we don't have any more the notes, and we don't know what they sounded like necessarily, but we do have left the rich powerful lyrics of these psalms dated about 3,000 years ago. Now, today, the psalm we're going to look at, Psalm 46, um, is not about that uniting topic necessarily of 
love and relationship and romance, but it is a topic that I really do think that all of us are going to resonate with and that is going to pull us all in. It's not love or romance. The topic is fear. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but I would say over the last four weeks or so, three weeks for sure, at North Cross, um, between the attenders and extended family, it's been a pretty heavy time. There's been a lot going on. The North Cross and prayer page on Facebook has been pretty active. Some of you are dealing with the death of a loved one right now, whether that be someone old or even, in one case, someone really young. Some of you are, are dealing with the news that the masses have cancer. And now, what's next, either for you or for someone you care about? Some of you are getting ready for surgery. Some of you are trying to recover from surgery. Some of you have been having challenges with your finances. And some of you have been having challenges with your relationships. And some of you have been having challenges as you think about school and what next year is going to be like. And some of you parents have been having challenges with that too. (laughs) And that's just real close to us. That's just the stuff going on right here locally, so to speak. And when you widen it a little bit more, there's a whole lot you could be scared of, whether it be nuclear bombs or shootings in America or how about election 2020, huh? The news is already trying to get us all freaked out and scared about that one. Sidebar for a second. America's become a pretty angry place, hasn't it? And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle or what side you're on. Everyone seems to be angry. Do you know really what is at the heart of a lot of the anger? It's fear. People are so angry because they're so scared as if, as if the wrong policy goes by or the wrong person is elected that God somehow will no longer be in control or maybe they're not even thinking about God at all. But at the heart of the anger is fear that what they want isn't going to happen. Does this resonate with you yet? Anything I've said? If you say no, Jason, you've been sleeping. There's something in here that resonates with all of us. This song, Psalm 46, that we're going to be looking at, it has a topic that unites us because we all need what it shares. My goal today is not that you will never be scared again because that's just not true. Maybe to encapsulate what my hope is for today, it could be said like our first fill-in. You see, you will feel fear. I guarantee it. There's going to be times when you're tempted to be fearful. You're tempted to worry. There are times when you're going to have the emotion of fear about the future. It's going to happen. But I want you to know you don't have to stay afraid. You will feel fear, but you don't need to stay there. You don't need to stay afraid. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read through all of Psalm 46. 
And what I found is I was only able really to get to just a few verses, and I tried to get the main theme of the psalm in the time that I have. There is so much here, so much in these lyrics. Um, so what I want to do is just I want to read them all in their entirety, and then we're going to go back and pick on a few verses to preach on. So here we go. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even if the earth would give way. Have you ever felt that that was happening? Like your reality, your preferred reality being pulled out right from under your feet. We won't fear even though the earth could give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though the earth's waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells is the city of God. God is within her, that city. She, the city, will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. God lifts his voice. The earth melts. Verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Did you know that psalms have refrains and choruses too, just like your favorite songs? This is the chorus of the refrain of Psalm 46. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations, in this case, the power that he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so in summary, what this psalm does is it lists all of these different things that could cause the world to fear. Most of them are totally out of our control that it mentions and then it says, we do not need to fear. And the main reason, if I could crystallize it, and then we're going to talk about it, the main reason we don't need to fear is found in the very first verse when it says, because God is our safe place. He's the place we go and we're guarded like a dad puts his arms around his child or a bird puts its wings around its chicks. God is that safe place, an ever-present help in trouble. Now, this is something that most of us are not surprised to know that the psalm would say. But what I want to do here is to look at a few verses that really articulate why you can believe that this is true. That why, when you're feeling fear, whether it be on big things or little things, that when you calm yourself and you rest on God's grace and strength that fear can start to go away. Let's, before we get to the verse, um, have you ever been caught in the middle of a storm driving? A few years ago, we were driving uh, to visit my parents and we were driving through Iowa. And as we were driving through, there was this amazingly violent storm going on. In fact, we found out later that there was a tornado scene not too far away from where we were driving. And so it was like this. The rain was coming down like 
proverbially sideways they talk about. That's what was happening. And as the sky was getting dark and the winds were howling and the SUV that I was driving, it was hard to keep it going straight because that's how strong the winds were. And have you ever driven in something like that? If you've ever been on the highway and driving through a storm like that, what happens when you drive under a bridge? Like for that moment, for that second, it's calm, isn't it? It's quiet. You drive under there, you're like, I wish I could just stay here. And some cars do, don't they? <laughs> but for an instant, and in an instant, everything changes when you walk or drive under the bridge. In the first few verses of this psalm, the psalm writer describes the things that they were going through like this tornado storm in Iowa. And all this stuff coming at people and all these things that they're dealing with and it gets loud and it gets violent. Let me remind you, he said, we won't fear though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Maybe picturing an earthquake. Though its waters roar and foam, tsunamis and hurricanes, and the mountains quake with their surging. These are all the things that happen naturally that we can't control. You might throw health concerns into this general category or this general bucket, okay? And then verse 6, there's another category. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. All of the stuff that goes on that people are a part of, that people cause, and one of the things that a thinking person would ask is, well, <laughs> why does all this happen? It's not because God is hurtful or mad or because he's not in control, I'll tell you that. Here's what you need to know. God never intended for the mountains to quake or the earth to give way. He never intended for nations to be in uproar and for kingdoms to fall. He intended it to be 75 and sunny every day in Minnesota. But it's not. And it's not because God doesn't like Minnesotans. It's because collectively, as a people, as humanity, we've disobeyed God and we've brought sin into the world. And even though God has taken care of that sin through Jesus, there are still the effects of sin in this world. And so there are going to be problems, and there are going to be things we can't explain, and there are going to be issues, and waters roar, and nations fight, and kingdoms fall, and death happens, and cancer exists, and relationships are hard, and finances don't always work out, and children leave, and on and on and on. But right after this is my favorite verse, my favorite phrase of this psalm. I want you to imagine being in that car with the Bloomer family driving through Iowa. It's a trip, let me tell you. I'll, I'm going to keep going, never mind. Um, and, I, and I want you to imagine the storm just rocking that car and rocking, in this case, your life. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. God lifts his voice 
and the earth melts. Not that God is going to melt the earth, but that he could if he wanted, that he is perfectly in control, that his power is all around us and that nothing is out of his control. And notice, I love it, he lifts his voice. It wasn't he flexes his muscle or he lifts his arm or he puts on the lifting belt and he's got to squat at the knees to really take care of this or he's got to exert a whole bunch of power and check his pulse because this is going to take a lot of work. No, <laughs> he just speaks. And if he wanted it to, the whole earth would melt. And I want you to know that because of Jesus, that God, that powerful God who lifts his voice, he can take away whatever it is you have, whatever it is you're facing. And if he doesn't take it away in his strength, he will get you through it. You know what? You're not strong enough. You hear people say that? I'm strong. I'll get through this. <laughs> well, you're not. And I know what they're saying. I'm not strong, at least. The only strength I have is the strength that God gives I read a verse like this, and it, it makes me think of Jesus with the disciples on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And there's this big storm going on on the sea, and the disciples and Jesus are in the boat. And the disciples, as they see this big old storm and thinking that they're actually going to die in this storm, they're like freaking out. And where's Jesus? He's sleeping, right? And they are just up in arms, and they're like, how can Jesus be? Jesus, wake up! And Jesus is like, why are you afraid? And they're like, look around you. There's a storm going on here. And then Jesus gets up, and Matthew doesn't record it, but it would have been apropos that Jesus kind of gets up and he kind of does a stretch and yawns, and it's like, water, storm, be quiet, be still. That's the kind of God you have. He lifts his voice, and storms stop. Or how about a little while later, his best friend, Lazarus, dies. And by the time Jesus got there, he had been dead for a few days, and when Jesus asked about where Lazarus was, his friend said, don't go in there because he stinketh. I think that's the literal translation. He stinketh. And, um, and Jesus not sweating it. He just says, Lazarus, Get out here. Stand up. Come here. And Lazarus gets up. It's a sight that no one who was there would ever forget as a dead guy gets life back and he starts to walk out the tomb still in his grave clothes. That's the kind of God who just lifts his voice that is power in our lives. I don't know that he'll take away your cancer. I, I would never tell you that he will. And I will never tell you that if you pray hard enough, he'll heal all things. I don't know God's plan. But what I do know is that he loves you dearly. And as I said before, he will either take it away or he'll do something better. He'll use it to bring you closer to himself because there's nothing more important than that relationship with him.
And I know some of you have experienced things in your life that there's no other way to explain it except miracle. There's no other way to explain it except God's power. And some of you are like sitting here like, I wish. I wish I could see that. Let me tell you something. If you're someone who believes in Christ for your salvation today, you've experienced the greatest miracle there ever was. Because when we were born, we were dead spiritually and with no relationship with God. We did not want to know about God. We didn't care about God. We were, as the Bible says, enemies of God. But through God's word, he lifts his voice. It's called the gospel. It's the message of what Jesus has done on the cross, his perfect substitute in our place, and the empty tomb, his victory of the empty tomb. Through that message, hearts have changed. People have gone from death to life. We are all recipients of the greatest miracle there could ever be, one that led us to have a relationship with God as his dear children. So don't stay afraid. And here's one reason why. God with you is more powerful than the storm before you. I don't know what storm you're facing. I don't know what storm you will face, but here's what I do know, that God with you, God on your side, the one who lifts his voice and the, the earth melts, God with you is more powerful than whatever it is you face, whatever the storm is before you. Verse 4. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. This is a verse that I think over 3,000 years since it's been written has lost a little bit of its depth because culture has changed. So I'm going to give you that depth back. You see, today, a river makes people glad because they can get out on the boat and go water skiing or go fishing. Or the river makes people glad because it's beautiful. 3,000 years ago, people didn't really care that the river was beautiful and they weren't just lounging on their boats, likely. Do you know why rivers make cities glad up until 100 years ago? Do you know why Minneapolis, St. Paul were settled on rivers? Because rivers bring life. In water is life. And rivers bring life. See, for most of us, we don't even think about that because we just go into our bathrooms or into our kitchens and turn the faucet on and there's water. But this is what the psalmist is getting at. There's a river that brings life and it makes the city of God glad. And someday that will be finally fulfilled in heaven. But rightfully now, wherever God's people are gathered, there is the city of God. Whether it's two people, one person, or a group of 200 plus people, whatever it is in this room, or more, wherever God's people are, there's a stream that makes these people glad. And the reason it bring, makes people glad is it brings life to them. I love that word, life. I was trying to think through this last week whether there's ever a way you use life by itself and it has a negative connotation. Like you can put words in front of life and it becomes negative, but just life of itself, like 
Almost every use of it is a positive thing. Every way we think about it. When you think of life, you think of health. When you think of life, you think of opportunity. When you think of life, you think of blessing, right? We want life. That's the life. When we're with God, that's what he brings to his people. See, the opposite of life is, of course, death. And when it comes to death, the truth is that at the heart or foundation of almost every fear in one way or another is a little bit of this. It has to do a little bit with our mortality. It has to do a little bit with our aging. It has a little bit to do with our time is running short. Almost every fear we have is somewhat connected to death. Well, guess what Jesus did? He took away death, eternal death. So that when it comes to physical earthly death, even though none of us look forward to it, likely, we don't need to fear it. And in fact, this truth about understanding God's love and victory through life after this earth was the thing that most motivated Christians in the first century more than anything else. You see, as we've talked about numerous times here at North Cross, being a Christian in the first century, it was a rough deal. They lived under the, a government that wanted all Christians not just quieted, but dead. And so tens of thousands of Christians died because they would not stop talking about Jesus. And you know what they talked about when they were asked to give a profession of why they were so confident about Jesus? You know what they didn't say? They didn't say, oh, because I once saw him calm a sea, or because he once took away my uh, grandma's leprosy, <laughs> or he once made the lame walk. All those things are true. But the thing they came back to, the thing that was most powerful for them to take away their fear was not that. It was the fact that he died, was buried, and they saw him alive. He died, was buried, and so many of those martyrs, many of them, saw with their own eyes a Savior who lived after death, and they understood what that meant. Because they lived, or he lived, they will too. And I'd like to live a little longer here, and I'd like to see my kids grow up and Maybe even some grandkids, just not too soon. But whenever it is, there's even something better waiting for me. You see, number three, with God, there is always life, even in the midst of death, and this can take away your fear. There will be times we fear, but we do not need to stay afraid. Because, verse 4 again, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And you are the city of God. And Jesus is the one who brings life, that water of life. So as we close, I, I, I have my to-do for you. And it actually comes from the psalmist. Here it is, verse 10. Be still. Be still. How? Know that I am God. Be calm. It's an imperative. That means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. God says, be still. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. And you're like, I'm trying not to. Be still, be still, be still, be still. And you're getting more nervous and your heartbeat's going up because you keep telling yourself to be still. I know very rarely people who can talk their way into being still. Someone else needs to talk you into it. You can't tell yourself to be still. You need to listen to the one who makes you still. How do you get there? Number four. Be selective with your playlist. What I mean by that is we are constantly bombarded by messages in this year and century and time and season more than ever before in the history of the world. And a lot of the messages you hear, you read, or you get from friends or social media or whatever it is, they're garbage. And they do not help you be still. They do the exact opposite. I was uh, reading um, one pastor's commentary on this section, and he wrote this. He wrote, Humanity was never designed to have the conversation of the entire world buzzing and vibrating on their butt bone. It's too much sometimes. And not every voice is a good voice. In fact, most of them are not good. And they make you feel things. They make you feel angry with God and discontented and frustrated and worried and fearful and scared so often. And I'm not telling you to throw this away because I understand we all need it for certain things. But that same pastor, he, uh, he showed a little function on your phone that I think could be helpful. And I have an Android, but I think it's also available on um, iPhone, and I kind of knew it was there. I just haven't used it that often. So later when you go home, take out your phone, and it's usually on the right side. If you, there's this little button there. I'm pretty sure it's on the more expensive Apples too, but if you just press that button and hold it, like there's this thing that says power off. And if you press that, <laughs> it's this amazing thing. Like it stops buzzing, and I have some peace, like you just, so iPhone, it's a little trickier. You press the side and you slide it. And when you slide it, it's, did you guys know that was on there? Be selective with your playlist. Do we need every message that's out there? Who are we listening to? What will help us to be still. What messages do you need to hear less of? Maybe you need to distance yourself from a group of friends or people. Maybe you need to get off that social media account or stop it for a while. Maybe, maybe there are certain news networks that you need to stop listening to or watching because truthfully, news has totally changed as you know. It's not giving news, it's making you feel something. That's their goal. And I have relatives, they don't live in my house, but they live somewhere, that get super angry after watching the news. Stop watching it. God still sits on the throne, even if you didn't watch the news that night. What messages do you need to hear less of, and what messages do you need to hear more of? I looked it up. The average American spends three hours just 
on their phone a day. That doesn't include all the other screens that we have. Three hours a day, that works to 21. I think it's even a little bit light, to be honest. Um, 25 hours a week. How long is a message? Sermon. Well, depends who's preaching, right? <laughs> I know, I hear it all the time. Anyway, I got the microphone. I can keep talking. <laughs> Maybe 30 minutes, right? So let me, let's do the math here. You put 30 minutes of a good playlist or song over the top of 25 hours of a lot of stuff that's not going to bring you peace. And what's going to win? God is powerful, but he gives us the means to still ourselves. And it's his word. And it's Psalms like Psalm 46. Did you notice that when we were preaching through it and I talked about how there's life in the midst of death, that you kind of took a breath? I saw it. Be selective about the playlist that you're listening to because God wants you to be still. And the power he has is the power of his amazing lyrics in the Psalms and in his word. And I pray that you spend more time listening to that voice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these songs that you've preserved for us for 3,000 years and for the amazing encouragement that we find as we all have experienced what it's like to be afraid or to be fearful of something in the future or something that we're going through. Dear Lord, remind us that you are our refuge and that there is a way to be still. It starts with you and what you've done and it requires us at times to be listening to your voice more that stilling, powerful voice that when you lift it, anything is possible. We pray for your strength and encouragement on this room and all the things that may cause us to fear. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.